Hello and welcome to Off Grid. We've got something special for you to start the new year off, haven't we, Dave? Well, it's been fun listening back to all the clips that you've managed to sweep up off the cutting room floor and mould into a sort of podcast golem. It's a shame there wasn't quite enough time to fit in the bits where, with the General's help, we finally and conclusively resolved the mysteries of the Tunguska event, the Murray Celeste and the Borley Rectory hauntings. But, you know, maybe we can save those for another episode in the future. Yeah, I did read a tweet a little while back that said the best thing you can do for your podcast is to make it shorter. So we'll just have to leave those things out and maybe come back to them another time. That reminds me of a tweet I saw just the other day. I think it was Arthur Smith, the comedian, comedian yeah. who had been going through some stuff and found an old sheet of paper, which was from the BBC, about curse words which you could or could not use in right. radio commentary. It was divided into three columns, one which was okay, one which was only if you absolutely must, and another <laughs> one which was absolutely not. And uh, uh, maybe I'll just tell people to go and find that tweet if they want to know what they are. Is, <laughs> is, this, is this current? Because the, 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 the documents from, from the 40s about what you couldn't say are, are brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> there was uh, it's one of those contexts where people will put in something that is deliberately way over the top and outrageous, knowing that it will be censored so that they can drop in something else as a replacement, which will be, oh, yes, you can have that instead, which is actually the line they really wanted in the first place and thought was a bit iffy and on the edge. But if you've got to go way past it first, then, you know, they'll let you have the slightly slightly less dodgy one. Because it was round, round the horn, wasn't it, in the uh, 60s? They used Kenneth Williams and Kenneth Horn, and they used to use, uh, was it uh, the gay slang? Was it Polari? Polari, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yes. yeah. So, so, and, and of course... Um, um, Julian, it's my friend Sandy. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so the... the, the uh, yeah, was it Barry Barry Took and Marty Feldman wrote it, and they just used yeah. to smuggle yeah. all sorts of uh, filth of stuff in filth in there, effectively. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, Kenneth so, Williams had his uh, rambling Sid Rumpo when he did his uh, songs of uh, uh, yeah. all sorts of the Ballad of the Wogglers Mooley and Green Grower. Yeah, though, absolutely. Yes, quite. Yeah. And I think in later years, Barry Cryer wrote a lot for people like Kenny Everett, and and he did the same sort of thing. Yes. Certainly, the character of Cupid Stunt, which they got they got away with that on the grounds of doing exactly what I said, which there was an alternative name for that character, which they submitted and were not allowed. Uh, that's, another <laughs> one to go, that's another one to go and look that up for yourselves if you're interested. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, I think giving comparing the two that actually Cupid Stunt is actually worse than the uh, than the, than the original one. But hey ho, that's the BBC for you. <laughs> anyway, edit point. Edit point. So yeah. I'm not going to edit this out. I just want you to tell me what the alternative was. <laughs> All right. Well, the alternative was Mary Hinge. <laughs> I did have a quiz about uh, which of these are real racehorse names. Oh, um, uh, yeah, the Norfolk Inchants and uh, Hoof Hearted and all those ones, yeah. Hoof Hearted has been uh, uh, 
quite common in many countries. But yeah, I think I, I think I read it was Jenny Pittman managed to have a ho- train a horse called uh, Mary Hinge. Or, um, <laughs> there's, a, there's, a com- there's a commentary on YouTube of a of a of a, of a commentator going, I'm doing the part, and then it's ah, <laughs> I, which is quite entertaining. A commentator who had to commentate on that, you'd just go for it, wouldn't you? Yeah, you well, it's not my fault the horse is called that. <laughs> is the Star Trek movie theme very different? I can't remember from the TV uh, well, the theme that pre-existed. So, it used motifs from it, didn't it? It, it picks up a little bit. I mean, uh, it was mostly a new tune, but the, the, the original Star Trek uh, original series theme was Alexander Courage. Ah, first thing. He didn't really use much of that, but the motion picture theme did get reused for the next generation. He kind of made a brighter, faster version of it, so it's more to, familiar to audiences through all the right. all, so the, it's, all it's, the Picard stuff, which was uh, which, which had the next generation theme, which was based on it. So is that? That's the one. Yes, right. Okay, great. Yeah. I think there's an old Enid Blyton book which has a two 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 V as some you know there's a reference to that in an address. Uh, I think it was what the case of the stuttering parrot or something like that. Oh, it's an old, uh, <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember Enid Blyton from you know long long time back. Yeah, uh, not, it used to be not very in popular. Any <laughs> yeah, I did read some a long time ago. Yeah, I think uh, it's probably too dated now. I mean compared to a number of other authors. Yeah. I suspect she's probably another one of those authors who people will now look at and go, oh, no, you can't say that anymore. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. There might be elements or rather of you that. I think even uh, if we go back and read any of those, we probably don't. I mean, there's a lot of lot of those authors out there now that you know that when you go back and look at it now, it's just so politically incorrect that uh, we wonder how how a younger self of ourselves, you know, was able to appreciate that at some point in time. Yeah. Well, times change, and hopefully for the better. Yes. Okay. Oh, I. I forget sometimes that um, I am general, so I'm like waiting for. <laughs> okay. With Descartes and his X was something that I found just by chance when looking up things to do with the letter X, and it's like, ooh, that's that's something that I would never have spotted otherwise, you know. Right. Yeah. Hooray for crosswords. Yeah. <laughs> Certainly. Do you do much editing afterwards, or are you you aiming aiming to go for that perfect golden tick take? Well, I guess we're aiming to, but it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <laughs> I think in the old days there was magazines and newspapers used to run a type of almost a lottery sort of crossword where there were deliberately ambiguous clues. So that people would write in and submit, and with a fee, with the hope of winning a prize, and so it would re- reduce the number of people who got the right answers because there were multiple possible. The, the the typical one out of this was something like you know yellow food stuff seven letters, and you you filled in mustard. enough letters and you know that it ends in a blank d, and you put in mustard, and it turns out the answer they looked for was custard, or vice versa. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and, the, and the judge's decision would be final, of course. The judge's decision is final, absolutely. And, yeah. I, and, I, and I think the one that when they used to do those in a series of rounds, didn't they? So that the in the first round, they'd arrange it so that a lot of people would get through. And then in the second round, you, you, they would keep going. But in, in each in each case, they just whittle it down subtly with these ambiguous answers. Yeah. Um, and of course, it would be ten dollars each time you got you went through a round, and you, you'd end up they'd make millions out of it. For a, yeah. And they give away a substantial prize at the end, but essentially, it's a lottery. Yeah. Sneaky. That's the sort of thing that would infuriate me. But yeah, what are the rules? Yeah. <laughs> there's, 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 a, there's a lovely thing on Dave Gorman's current incarnation on Dave, in which he, he sets up a, a dummy quiz format for one of his celebrity uh, assistants. They have to answer 10 questions, just general knowledge questions, but the answers have been selected by a member of the audience who has given his answers before the show. He doesn't actually know most of the answers. Some of them he does, but the rest of them he does. And the gimmick is that this is this is the spot the ball rules. You remember spot the ball? Where yeah. you've got the you've got the picture, you put the X, and the correct answer is where the experts say the ball would have been. And, right. and, and people would people would find this because they would they would just pick press pictures. People would find yeah. the real picture. They'd carefully transpose the position of the actual ball. They'd pay for 50 entries, put 50 crosses all around the actual ball, but they wouldn't win. Because the expert said it was over there. <laughs> I've never, I've never thought about about that possibility for spot the ball that you could go and hunt out the original photograph. But it didn't oh, work because wow. it, 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 it wasn't based on where it actually was. It was yeah, terrible, terrible. But Dave, but, I, but I love Dave's idea. I think there's a real possibility for a, for a series there of programs where you where the, the game is not to find the actual answer but to guess what the person in the audience thinks the answer would be i went along to a a tryout run of a quiz show many years ago i can't remember what what it was called and i don't think it ever got made sandy toxic was hosting it but the idea was that all the contestants got to ask the other contestants their own general knowledge questions right well, it's a little bit like this, really, isn't it? Well, I suppose, yeah. And uh, when I had up my sleeve was what, which I now can't remember the exact answer to, but what was the registration number that you could see on the top of the USS Enterprise in the opening credits of uh, Star Trek? Oh, dear. Well, N- yeah, NCC seventeen oh one, wasn't it? Something like that. There was, a, there, was yeah. there, there must have been. There was surely there was seven in it. I'm, I'm sure I can I can picture picture about. <laughs> is it three or four digits? I, the seven yeah. maybe in a zero. I, I think four. Yeah. I think it's NCC one seven oh one. But I, you know, the the Trekkie listeners, sorry, Trekker listeners, will uh, will come and, and and clobber me if it isn't. They'll they'll tell us. They'll tell us. I think the quiz show probably never got picked up because it would just involve a horrendous amount of fact-checking to be done behind the scenes. <laughs> yeah, because if you're expecting the contestants to come up with their own questions, you've A, got to determine whether they're fair and, and solvable, yeah. and B, whether they've got the right answer in the first place. Yeah. Actually, I've just remembered when I went for the original interview to try and get involved in this show, the chap I met gave me a, a sort of mini quiz, general knowledge quiz, and one of the questions he asked me was, what year was Gandhi assassinated? 
and I said, Mohandas, Indira, or Rajiv? (laughs) (laughs) And he said Mohandas, and I then promptly got it wrong by one year. So he served me right for being a smart (laughs) ass. Smart ass, yeah, there we go. (laughs) It's stuck in our mind, Is it's a million to one against that happening. Therefore, this group that we're looking at must be extraordinary. It's not, you just happen to be looking at looking at them because they are the, the one in the million. These counterintuitive probability things are, are, there are some very famous ones, aren't there? Was it the Monty Hall problem? Yeah. Uh, do you know this, this one about a quiz show about, or, you know, there's a prize behind one of three doors and you pick one and I open one of the other doors and now what's the probability that the prize is behind the one that you picked or whatever? And that everybody gets it wrong. And even when somebody proved that the wrong answer was wrong and what the right one was, and they were a respected mathematician, all the other respected mathematicians said, you're mad. Oh, it was <laughs> widely ridiculed. Had, had yeah. to go into hiding for months. Um, yeah. Anyway, yes. So, yes, but but, but but it's a but it's a real it's a, but it's a real problem. And very early COVID tests coming back to what real world and right yeah. now, uh, and they were only seventy to eighty percent reliable. And that was at a time when you had maybe less than one in a thousand people actually carrying COVID. So if you applied that test to people without symptoms, you would have had literally hundreds of false positives for every real positive. And that's why we couldn't apply the test yet in a widespread way. The only tools we had to manage the pandemic at that time were rigorous application of quarantine or lockdown. And we arguably delayed and delayed on both of those yeah. until we had what we had. Um, and and, this, and this, there was Fucking no clusterfuck. That's what we've got. <laughs> Actually, the, the way, but if you find this, this the, the, the intu- intuitive part of it difficult to grasp, put it in a different sense. If you ask almost the same question in sport, if you said, if Cristiano Ronaldo is playing in a football game, what are the chances that his team will score a goal? I mean, the answer is probably rather more than 50%. Okay, because it's going to be a good team. He's probably going to score one of them. But if you reverse that and say, if a football team scores a goal, what are the chances that Cristiano Ronaldo is playing? Well, obviously, that's not more than 50%. They're different questions. Okay, So you have to get that idea of what's the real question in your mind. Wasn't there... Um... The hobby, uh, the Latin name, Falco Subutio. Oh, right. Yes. And and the guy who invented the table football game was trying to come up with a name for the game. And he said, well, it's, it's what is it? It's a hobby. Aha! <laughs> <laughs> and so he nicked the name Subutio, and that's why it's called that, which is esoteric Latin jokes in, in popular pastimes <laughs> or, or, not, un, or unexpected. <laughs> Oh, we crossword setters wouldn't approve of that sort of thing, would we? Oh, no. Absolutely not. <laughs> I was going to say, I often wonder with words like sparapet whether it's something that they've seen and gone, ooh, that's kind of interesting. I want to introduce this word to people through the means of the crossword. Or whether, you know, they've ended up with a, oh, a blank P, blank R, blank P, blank T and gone, oh no, <laughs> what have I done? Yeah. But, yeah. Could be either, either way, I think. I've certainly sometimes found an unusual word and thought, oh, let's put that in the grid, and yeah. then put it in the grid and gone, what did I put that in the grid for? I can't <laughs> clue that. As a, you know, when you get a word like syzygy, and you kind of go, yeah. look at those letters. What am I going to do with that? Why did I put that there? Masochism. Absolutely. I mean, obviously we had 
Gangnam Style, I suppose, was you know the the biggest hit that I can remember. But some of that was in English, though, as well, wasn't it? Some of that was in English, but like the word know, "style" you know. for starters. <laughs> <laughs> Quite, but you know, it's it's that kind of thing, and I wish it were just more prevalent because if you go into Europe and have a look at the charts for those countries, a lot of the time it's not just like if you go to France, it's not just French songs that make the charts. They also have you know German, Italian songs. And I'm quite partial to the Eurovision Song Contest, which I know is quite a divisive topic uh, among uh, a lot of people. But it's really nice recently to see... Oh, I forgot the name of the band. Mornerskin, I think it's pronounced, but win with an Italian language song, which I think is the first time it's happened in a very long time. You know, Mm. so... And I think, if I remember rightly, that Celine Dion was the last person to win with a French language song. So... Still waiting for that one. But yes. It used to be quite a, a, a scene of successful pop bands in the 60s and 70s and even 80s, I think, re-recording all their hits in various different European languages. Mm-hmm. So they could uh, have more hits Europe-wide, earn more money. I don't think people bother with that so much nowadays, now that English is so much more It's the global widespread. language of music, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Sorry, world. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Um, did you have any general questions about uh, general questions <laughs> about anything? No, I was just going to sort of say a load of rubbish. Perfect. Yeah. That fits in with me. Um, although I do pronounce the thing that's spelled Q A N O N as Quanon. But that's just because I imagine it would annoy them if I did. <laughs> Do it, all, yes, out of deliberate cantankerousness. <laughs> yeah. And Washington Irving also did Rip Van Winkle, didn't he? Yeah. Yes. That's one of those cultural figures which I presume is hundreds and hundreds of years old and um, and is credited to Trad and then recently found out is of much more recent vintage. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I probably thought it was much older as well until until I didn't. Oh, I'm the general. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> You're not the first person that's happened to Really? <laughs> no. Oh, that's that's one of those things I hate where you have a thing, let's call it X, and then the thing X has various different types. Right. And so the various different types are differentiated with an adjective. So you then have Adjective X being one of the types of X. Right. And then this adjective X becomes the most common or well-known or popular type of X. And then people drop the X. So they just get called by an adjective. So easy peelers. That's that's not a noun. (laughs) (laughs) It could be applicable to any number of things, is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's the other one? Um, Ikea do some biscuits which on the top of the tin have the words ginger thins and (laughs) i always think well have you got scientific evidence to back that claim up (laughs) Uh, does it now yes quite Mm. well that's that's like the signs that you see in the street that say cyclists dismount (laughs) and i look around and i go they very often don't you know (laughs) Dogs uh, must be carried on the escalators. Yeah, oh, I haven't yeah. got one. It took me half an hour to find one. 
I realised well, during one like, down that I'd for, I'd forgotten how crosswords work because uh, so um, <laughs> so one down is feature in how to turn a cat into a, a man. So the the answer is detail feature, and the wordplay is uh, how to turn a cat into a man. You take a Manx cat and you turn it into a man by detailing it. And um, I was looking, I put it in. I went, that can't be right because a Manx cat, of course, it doesn't have a tail. And I sort of pondered this for ages, and, and doubted my sanity. And then, and then I remembered what a crossword is, which is that you're treating the word as a word, and it doesn't yeah. matter. It's sort of a bo- it's a fun bonus that the Manx cat doesn't have a tail, but it absolutely has a, a, a last letter, which is what we were detailing. Which uh, I, I would be prepared to bet a tenner or three on the fact that Dave owns a copy too. Um, well, you might put it that way. <laughs> oh, he's reaching. It's it's within arm's but, reach. But actually, right now. but actually, you're wrong because I own two copies. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Um, well, one of the things that was well known about that book is that something went wrong in the um, process. You've got the rare messed proof. up one. I may have Ooh. in the grounds that I, I ordered it from somewhere online and it... it for some reason, at that time, I was not having it delivered to my home, but to one of those kind of... Well, it must have been from Amazon, because it was to one of those um, hub locker things. And it said, your book's arrived. So I went and I collected it and, and so on. Uh, and I thought no more about it. It's gone on my shelf. I've got a massive to-be-read shelf of things that I haven't got around to reading yet. Um, so it went on the shelf. And then a couple of weeks later, I got another notification that said, your book's arrived and it's in the locker. And I said, like, oh, what book? I haven't ordered a book. I've got everything I ordered. Oh, well, I'll go and see what it is. And I went along, and what it was was the second copy of Sooty Dennis' book. So I'm assuming that one of them is the one with all the errors in it, and the other one is the replacement um, corrective <laughs> issue. But I haven't checked them yet. But, uh, yeah, so there we are. If it turns out that they are both fine, <laughs> then it might be a good thing to do as like a crossword prize for somebody, mightn't it? Oh, absolutely. And of course, the the wearing spectacles thing will only work in an across clue, not a down clue, because if you picture someone wearing spectacles, the two lenses are side by side; they're not above each other. So you can only do the spectacles gag in an across clue. You're not allowed to say that that person has fallen over. <laughs> um, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> and um, there was quite a lot I liked about this. I liked the fact that that you had to do quite a lot to get there. I like the fact that I generally like a hyphenated letter enumeration uh, or one with, with a comma in. I find that that gets me gets me part of the way there. I can sort of see the shape of the word mm. much more quickly. Yeah. But also, I, I wanted just to discuss, uh, possibly briefly, the nature of the surface reading of this clue. So... So we've got a rich duke and he's wearing spectacles after springtime, or is he? Question mark. And what it put me in mind of, I think quite a lot about, there was a, a, a puzzle in the American style by a, an indie setter called Brendan Emmett Quigley, who I like a lot. And I guess th- this might be another example of a, if, if, if you want to solve that puzzle, and it is well worth solving. If you searched for Brendan Emmett Quigley and Animal Tales, you would find this puzzle. But it's... Um, Across his grid, he has broken up a quote from John le Carré, which is, the cat sat on the mat is not a story. 
the cat sat on the dog's mat is a story. <laughs> and I sometimes think about that with, with regard to surface meanings of cryptic clues. So if the surface meaning is something utterly sort of plausible and unremarkable, then that's obviously fine. So I don't, I don't have an answer for this, but if there was a clue that was uh, rabbit eating lettuce, yeah, that would be great. Uh, whatever the answer was, uh, the setter has, has, has managed to contrive um, a, contrive a definition of wordplay to rabbit eating lettuce. And I would say yeah. rabbit eating wedding dress, something extraordinary, <laughs> the opposite of a rabbit eating lettuce is great. But there are certain things in between where you, if it was rabbit eats paper bag, I might be a bit like, why are you telling me this? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. like, that's what, 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 that is only happening because it happens to, to sort of give you the wordplay you, you need. But that, for me, does it. Rich Duke wears spectacles after springtime is it's utterly arbitrary and it's not an image I ever expect to, to <laughs> contemplate again. But it's, it's definitely one that I enjoyed. This Duke, why does he have to wait until after springtime? Are they, I had some spectacles delivered after springtime from Moorfield's Eye Hospital. That's not why the, the Duke is, is waiting for his. But I, I, I enjoyed thinking about the Duke. And going into he's his summer. He's allergic to pollen. Oh, do so you think that's what it is? Eyes, so he has to wear glasses. Yeah. Right. So they're not corrective at all. No, 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 no. They're, they're, they're protective goggles. Yeah, yeah. So, and if it's he wasn't a duke, people would say, "Look, don't be stupid. Other people need these glasses. That's that, that's a that's a waste." But he just sort of pats his fat stomach. It's- Duke's noblesse oblige and all that, yeah. And laughs and says, listen, I'm a duke. If I want to wear glasses for whatever reason, I will. Exactly. I mean, if you can't be a duke and wear glasses when you want, what's the point of duking it up? <laughs> Dear me. Can I ask something? Am uh, I... You just did. Am I... <laughs> well, there, there we go. I've got my answer. Um, am I alone in that? Or do, do, do you two, and are you aware of others... Enjoy. Do your do your eyes look for a comma in the enumerations to get you started? Do you do you feel helped uh, yeah, by and sympathetic for, to multi-word answers? For me, when I am faced with a blank crossword, the first thing I do is I skim down the clues, looking for all the all the phrasal ones, and I draw in because I, I work on the, on hard copies almost all the time, and I'll draw in the hyphens and the and the word space. I just do easy ones. <laughs> just too easy ones. Yeah, but but yeah, because um, it's always my theory that six, seven, eight-letter words are the hardest because there's the greatest proportion of those in English, and therefore the place to start if you want something easy is either with the three- and four-letter words or the really long phrases. But yeah, so phrasal answers, you, it, it just the enumeration limits your options quite a lot, doesn't it, as Especially if you've yeah. got sort of like six, three, five, you kind of go, well, there's a seventy percent chance that that three-letter word in the middle is either and or the. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I agree. I find the multi-word ones, the shape of the phrase. I think you showed was the phrase you used. I think, and yeah, that helps me solve a lot. Um, but I also agree with what you're saying about surfaces. You know, either ordinary or interestingly ridiculous but not just ridiculous yes yeah i do like quail's surfaces in general i i, I like 
sort of reading them and, and pondering them um, as opposed to sort of rattling through and using them as fodder for the answer to, to get the answer in. Anyway, well, they... Well, lots of people have it, don't they, with... Um, sorry, just because the, the, the opportunity might yeah. go. Um, lots of people have it, I believe, and I did too, with the, the title of the action film Con Air, that it's Air Con switched round, um, right. which yeah. I didn't realise. I, I, I presumed that was the name for, for that method of, of um, transporting criminals, convicts. Hmm. Uh, okay. I've never noticed that miniature gag in that title uh, right now gosh how stupid of me why did i never notice it before <laughs> um, sorry did you just say british english you know what i mean you're pronouncing that wrong it's pronounced english thank you very much <laughs> carry on you know what i mean <laughs> um english as she is spoke in the british isles i find it Dead useful. I mean, regular listeners will have gathered across successive episodes that the, the I, the general, have a, a portfolio career uh, and, and have worn many hats in my time, and uh, and have and the man of a thousand voices. But um, I, among other things, I've uh, I, the general, have written um, clues for things on TV shows and in books and things like that, and sometimes a uh, not necessarily cryptic but it could be cryptic sometimes you want to find a word that will plausibly go in front of another word that that begins or ends with Mm. a certain letter Mm. and when inspiration is not striking or where or or just to confirm now do these words sort of fit naturally together is this a, a smooth and plausible piece of language there are various wild cards that the engram offers you which uh, which solve that problem for you. If, you, if you if your brain isn't working, you can you can um, delegate it to Mister Google. Yeah, you mean to yeah. see if if two words next to each other have been used more than one single time or whatever. Yeah, or just I don't. I'm struggling to think of an example that won't sound incredibly abstract. But anyone that that sort of ponders puzzles, I guess, would will be familiar with or, or sympathetic to the idea that you might. A, a setter might want a, a, a verb that begins with a V that can then follow the word against. And so they might be sitting there yeah. going, yeah. Can, can you veer against something? Or have I just made that up and it sounds plausible because now it's in my head. Um, but Google engrams will answer those tricky, tricky queries, I think. There are certainly, as you say, wild cards and, and sort of filters that you can apply to look for phrases and for particular types of uses. You know, you would say, if you if you were looking on the word box, you say, "Oh, well, I'm only looking for usage of box as a noun rather than as a verb and all that kind of stuff." Yeah, mm. so it was interesting. I was I was doing a quick search on words that I wanted to see were particularly high proportion of usage because obviously you can imagine. I, I think uh, guilty comes out as something like naught point naught naught three of all use you know percent of a percent of all words used. So I wanted to see what would get higher numbers. So I'm looking at words like the and I, <laughs> um, which both come out at around like something like 4%, 4 to 6% of, of usage of all words. Um, but it was interesting, the word I, as in me, not as in ocular stuff, um, has spiked massively and continuously since about 1981. There's just a sudden uh-huh. growth. And it's like... 
is that some societal thing that it's we're Reagan. all so much Ronald more Reagan's with talking about ourselves? You know, who knows? Uh, that's a point, isn't it? And that um, he, whenever I think of him in the context of um, of crosswords, I think of a a setter who started around the same time as Quayos. I think Tramp, um, also in the Guardian, who oh now I wrote down something he'd said. He'd say when I interviewed him, he said that the pair of them had had a conversation and they said, because one of them works on Bayesian search engines. So they had a conversation where they said, we're both guardian setters. We're both mathematicians and we've both worked with Bayesian statistics. What are the chances of that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh... I think of that trap. There's a brilliant tramp clue for Kipper tie. Um, which he, he references with uh, with how Noddy Holden would refer to to a certain hot libation. <laughs> Is it Vic and Bob who, who started that? It, it, it took me a while to tweak to that. Sorry. I think well, Noddy Holden himself has talked about it, but whether that was pre or post Vic and Bob, I'm, I can't be sure now. Just going back to the the uh, sound of music for a moment. One uh, I know that uh, Christopher Plummer. Um, in the film version, he hated it so much that he referred to it as the sound of mucus. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yeah, I, I enjoy that sort of derisive comment more than a sweary one. <laughs> <laughs> as I was I... writing it in, I um, I, I I always when I'm writing Djibouti, I just think DJ really is that how I'm going to write this? <laughs> Yeah. It is an interesting spelling, but um, yeah. In 26, I had not heard of the roller bird. I don't know if either of you had. No, um, that was new to me. It, yeah, I, I looked it up. Lovely plumage. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it wouldn't be a proper episode of Off Grid if typography and fonts didn't come into it somewhere, would it, Dave? Indeed um, not. Uh, no. Yes, of which uh, more possibly later. Rolls Royce. <laughs> I just saw the other day a claim to have made the fastest electric vehicle, which okay. uh, travels driven about... by Ernie. <laughs> no, the fastest milkman in the West. Oh, Sorry, right. that... <laughs> <laughs> no, your eyes glazed over there. No, this one allegedly travels at I think three hundred and eighty-two miles per hour at its top speed. Wow! That's not but bad. it wasn't a car because no. this isn't Rolls Royce, the car company. It's this the separate aerospace aeronautics. Company. Yeah, um, and it's an aeroplane. And this plane uh, had a high top speed, a lower sustained top speed over a distance, 340-odd miles an hour, I think. And the quote I liked was that post-COP26, we're working towards jet zero. Jet zero. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yeah, well done. So Uh, how do electric aeroplanes recharge? Um, by landing yes, and sticking so. a new battery in. <laughs> yeah. So it goes very fast, but not for very long, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Um, yeah. the, I, I the, the first electric aeroplane didn't take off because they couldn't find an extension lead long enough. <laughs> <laughs> See, and yeah. I, I thought when you started with that, you were going to talk about the fact that silver is one of those words that's notoriously got few rhymes. Like mm. orange and purple. Yeah, it's weird how it's the the, the colour words, isn't it, that uh, that yeah. are uh, in that list. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I had other notes, which isn't a colour. 
Oh, oh yes, yeah. the month as well, yeah. Anything left? What about uh, a typographic context for the phrase dog's bollocks? <laughs> Please. Do you know do you know about this? <laughs> no. I've I've heard it before. Is it two dots in some particular arrangement? It it's it's a, a colon followed by a dash is what it is. Yeah. Right. Uh, of course. Uh don't do that, folks. It's bad form, but there we are. <laughs> um we uh, we knew about bacteria a bit earlier than we right. knew about viruses. Interestingly, so well, the they word are bigger, had, aren't they? I think they yeah they are. Yeah. So um, the word had been around for a very long time. Came into Middle English from Latin, the word virus, but it was used in a much more general sense. So it was just used for it meant poison um, or kind of noxious disease causing thing for quite a okay. long time so it did have a similar sense but do you know who introduced the word back into english in the this, this new specific sense in the 1890s no for bonus point <laughs> <laughs> I, I second that answer yeah i don't i don't think it's you know it's not something that i'd expect you to know necessarily and it was new to me as well but um martinus by Jerink. oh him um, yeah yeah a Dutch <laughs> microbiologist fella, and he was using it in relation to um, this new pathogen that had been found to affect tobacco plants. So it wasn't a human virus initially. Okay. Do you know another bonus point? What the first human virus to be identified was? Oh, cripes! Um, this is around the same sort of time. Cholera. No. I don't even know if that's vir- viral. No, that I think that. I think that's bacterial. Yeah. 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 No, no, it's it was yellow fever. Okay, um, discovered uh, in Cuba around eighteen eighty. Um, okay, you'd think they might work that into the script. Oh dear, what Mike said? Which Mike? Which oh, yeah. Stella's Mike? Oh yeah. right, no, what did he say? That sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, or the classic soap opera trope of one person talking about a Mike and the other person assuming that they meant one and the whole plot going off when they actually meant the other and there's oh massive confusion yeah. with hilarious consequences <laughs> they do have the little ways to distinguish with some people as well like i think there's someone called barry two phones which, <laughs> <laughs> but there isn't another barry i don't think so it's kind oh. of irrelevant uh, well, i thought you were going to say that one of them's got a particularly distinctive accent or something. Well, one of them never spoke at all. There were there were two What's characters that? called Frida. Or stage characters, as it yeah. were. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the, I'm sitting in a shed with a lock, and the lock just uh, yeah, locked itself, and it it will not do it. Oh, oh yeah. I see. We heard the little electronic grinding noise. We were wondering what it was. So if you were sort of in a dentist surgery or something, you know. One tidbit I liked was, do you know how the River Amazon got its name? Me personally, no. <laughs> okay. I hope Jeff didn't have anything to do with it. <laughs> no. <laughs> Apparently... The Spanish explorer Francisco de Orellana was supposedly assailed by a tribe of female warriors on his trek down the river in 1540. Yeah, so these were the Amazons. Yeah. He named it after the mythical tribe of warrior women who were from 
depending on who you believe, the Russian steppes or Libya or the shores of the Black Sea. And if you think that they came from the shores of the Black Sea, you could get more specific and you could say that they were from the settlement called Themyscira, which was used in the Wonder Woman film with a slightly variant spelling. And Themyscira was in the ancient kingdom of anyone? It's been mentioned before in Off Grid. It was in the kingdom of Pontus, which okay. is uh, Mithridates' realm, the old uh, poison avoider. Although we've got uh, clashing mythologies going on here because Mithridates wasn't a woman. Anyway, that's that's an odd. I'd never wondered about the fact that the River Amazon was named after a Eurasian tribe. A, a tribe uh, when from it's in South America. Okay. But have you um, ever been to the Pantheon? I've not, no. Have you? I have, and it's amazing. Yeah. I was um, in Italy in the early 90s on a bit of a jaunt holiday, and I was just wandering around, found myself in a square, and went, oh. That's a big building up there at the end of it. Let's go and have a look. Oh, it's it's the Pantheon, is it? Well, I've heard of that. Wandered in, almost completely empty. There were a couple of people in there. I more or less had the whole place to myself to just stand there and gawp and go, wow, pretty neat place. Massive <laughs> dome. I think it's the largest unsupported dome in Europe or, or was so for many hundreds of years. Yeah. Yeah. Can no. recommend. Very good. <laughs> is is Yotta spelt with a Y or is it I O? Y O double T I, isn't it? Yeah. And there is, I mean, there are the corresponding sort of small number prefixes, which is Yokta is ten to the power minus twenty four, and Zepto is ten to the power minus twenty one. Okay, and wasn't he one of the Marx brothers? Oh. It's Pico and Atto in there as well. I think. Yeah, fifteen yeah. and eighteen are they? Uh, Pico yeah. is minus, minus twelve and Atto is minus eighteen. And there's a Femto which is minus fifteen. Ah, uh, yeah. I think I probably have heard the Erdington number mentioned in some uh, documentary. So and he it's... has one more number which apparently is more popular. This is some Arthur Eddington, British uh, scientist. He came up with something, another Eddington number, which is sort of a measure of how good a cyclist you are. I don't <laughs> remember the details, but it's about, you know, what's the maximum distance you have gone and how many weeks have you gone roughly that distance in or something like that. Oh. Well, when was he around? Oh, it's not quite general knowledge, evidently. yeah yeah i I think i've heard the number of um particles in the universe number before and it's it's some it's 10 to an astoundingly large number like 10 to um power of a million or something uh okay quite that big but huge arthur eddington is 1882 to 1944 there we go okay first half of the 20th century when he was doing his uh is counting big numbers counting numbers (laughs) yeah so that was that hope you liked it hope you're still listening dave anything to add on the subject of listeners it's nice to get feedback from them if only to confirm their existence uh one listener expressed gratitude for having been introduced to the word gallimore free 
which I rather was pleased with. Um, another said it was lovely to hear casual swearing. I don't recall the exact circumstances of that, but just for him, we included some more in this week's episode, didn't we? Bollocks. <laughs> that might have been the one, yes. <laughs> and for anyone who recalls our What Three Words discussion, I have found out that surveyor points heat will drop you down on top of Uluru in the middle of the central Australian desert. How about that? <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, yeah, thank you for all your listens and ratings and comments and feedback. It's been very nice. If you would like to encourage us to carry on doing off-grid, then, um, yeah, a review or two would be really nice to see because we've got really few of those. And for those listeners using Spotify, I believe that it is now introducing, which it's not had in the past, a star rating system like some other podcasters do. So you can give us your uh, your five star rating on there if you like. Assuming they rate out of five, you know, well, if, yeah. they, if they rate out of ten, then um, eleven would be lovely, please. <laughs> These ratings go up to eleven. <laughs> uh, what better quote to end on? We'll be back next time with a quote proper episode. <laughs> See you, folks. Bye. Ta-ra.